last week's talk was on stress, then it's cessation that, that attracted a lot of people. Life hurts, right? <laughs> this afternoon we can just, uh, well, I like to just contemplate how the, these kind of basic experiences of life, things that are just so ordinary, such as happiness and, and unhappiness, and what they really are, and how, you know, because sometimes our life is caught up in in all kinds of anticipations and and assumptions about things and I found that, that even when happiness when there is happiness we we seldom can really fully appreciate it because uh, the mind is conditioned to uh, to go on to the next thing so that we it, when something's really going right and everything is extraordinarily pleasant uh, something in us is is programmed to go on to something else, just because the the, the programming is is that way. To be able to relax and to just be, to to have the confidence and the trust in just being conscious and aware, because sometimes we feel very guilty if we're not busy going somewhere, doing something, going on to the next thing. In a, in a reflection on life hurts, is, is trying to bring our attention to uh, that life basically is, a, is an experience of, of uh, great sensitivity. It has a lot of feeling in it. It's, a, it's this way, no matter how fortunate or unfortunate uh, the particular things that happen to us might be. Just if you contemplate just your own physical uh, presence, just having a human body, what is it like as an experience? And, and you, when you contemplate it and not judge it, not, uh, not, make it, not try to make any strong statements about it, but just notice, be aware of what it is to be conscious within uh, the, the physical form, the sensitive form that we have, you can see it's a, it uh, is uh, basically quite a uh, situation that is, uh, provides with a lot of physical pain, discomfort, and that, that life itself brings a lot of disappointments and disillusionments to to us, just that we maybe we expect too much from life. When we're young uh, and idealistic and, and don't, don't have a lot of experience, we we sometimes expect life to be something uh, that we find out later it, it's really not that way. And then the mind easily goes into blame and uh, either towards oneself or towards uh, other other people. But when you contemplate life hurts, then something in us says, yeah, that's all right. Why shouldn't it? That's the way it is. Then, then why, should we, why should we expect it to be otherwise? And in that, then it's, it's, not, a, it's not a kind of bitter resignation to, to a bad experience, but it's a, 
it's an acceptance of the sensitive state that we're in and, and all the possible experiences that we know, uh, that we can, you know, imagine. We begin to, instead of dreading or fearing, we begin to just take it, take our lives and learn from them, learn what we can from what happens to us. Life itself is, you know, as far as we, we know, our understanding of it is this way, isn't it? It's, it's planetary life, it's physical existence, it's sensitivity. Uh, life to us oftentimes means the, the life of our body. So that we, because we, we, uh, we tend to identify so strongly and make assumptions about ourselves as being this physical form, that we assume that when this form dies, that that's the end of life. We can see that we, we just the, the logic there, that, that the death of a human body means that, that life is no longer present. But when you begin to contemplate it more and more, investigate it for what it really is, you, you begin to notice that that uh, this this body is just uh, something that is temporarily operating within the experience of life, and that because it was born, it will die, and when it's time to, it has come for it to die, then that's that's the natural uh, that's what's natural for it, and we begin to see that. The, understand more the amata or the deathless reality rather than see the, the end of life as a physical death. It's also the, a kind of conceit, ingrained conceit in just the way we think, isn't it? That we assume that once we die that's the, the, end, of our, that's the end of life. What about when we're asleep? You know, what happens to the world when we're asleep? Uh, because we're not no longer conscious of anything other than, say, maybe a few dreams that that might uh, go through through the mind at that time, or what happened in the, you know in the the rest of the world and all that's happening, say, in London today or in Paris or in Bosnia or wherever, we can we we can contemplate as being, uh, you know, we assume that it's. It's uh, the other human beings are doing exactly the same thing that we're doing, or thinking, feeling, uh, conscious uh, beings uh, that are having maybe moments of happiness or sorrow or despair. But we, but as an actual uh, experience, now we don't know. We know. We know that we're feeling at this moment. We know. Uh, we can know what's going through our mind. They, we can observe the the pleasure or the pain, the 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 doubt or the despair or the indifference or the fear or the the happiness or the joy that we might be experiencing at this moment. That we can know for sure. And so the Buddha's teaching is aimed at that kind of awareness of seeing the the how the the qualities 
of the conditioned realm are fleeting. They come and go and they, they move very quickly. Uh, they change. They're, they're unstable. You can't, you can't stabilize them. You can't make them last. It's, uh, it's their nature to begin and end. But in that reflection, you begin to ask yourself questions like, what is it that can be aware of all this? Who, who is it that knows this? What is it that watches? And that throws us back onto, say, just that, that attentive awareness. Because you can't, you can't find out what is aware, you can only be aware. And this is where we want, what we need to trust in is just that, that being aware, that willingness to just be with this conscious state, with whatever happens to be going on. Noting it, accepting it, reflecting upon it, contemplating it, but not, uh, but not making, no longer just rushing around trying to, to go on to the next thing, to distract ourselves into something else. Uh, like the, 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 the cessation of stress is the willingness to relax and let, let, and, and stay with the way things are, no matter what they might be. With the experiences of life, and just notice how how we in the newspapers and the and the mass media and just the on the telephones and the just the the uh, gossip or the experiences of of just our own family or uh, acquaintances, the 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 things that happened in in the world, such as Divorce, infidelity, adultery, uh, uh, just, uh, neglect, child abuse, uh, criminal activities, lying, and, uh, and corruption. Uh, all of these, these kind of, of uh, subjects are always news for us. But what did they actually do to the mind? When we hear about, uh, say, the... Uh, the the misfortunes of famous people when what what is so fascinating really about say the 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 unhappiness or the the failures or misfortunes of famous people uh, why do we why do we give so much importance to the the royal family of this country why do we care so much about why 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 are we so interested in what they do and so we can, because you know, when we when we contemplate this, we begin to realize our own uh, humanity is the same. That we tend to think of ourselves maybe as not being uh, uh, an important or or significant figure in the society, but yet we still have the same life hurt experiences. And and I don't think we delight particularly delight in the misery of of the the rich and glamorous and famous, but 
it does help us to realize that, that it's part of life experience, that everyone gets their fair share of it, no matter who they are. And nobody's really going to get out of it that much. Because life is like this. We, we reflect every day. We are the owners of our karma, heir to our karma, born of our karma. So this word karma in, in the Buddhist uh, terminology is quite uh, significant because it, it's about the, just the, the results of, of having been born and having done the things that we've done, having said the things that we've said, having experienced the things that we've experienced. Sometimes, because it is a bit of an exotic word, we, 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 it has a, we can empower it, has a little more impact, maybe. We just say cause and effect is a bit bland and not so, quite so glamorous or, or, uh, I mean, and yet some of us would, would maybe prefer that because karma always kind of has the sound of ex the exotic orient or some Hindu kind of, uh, esoteric, special quality to it because it's not an English word and yet yet you hear it quite, being used quite regularly in, in, in ordinary parlance like about my karma and her karma <laughs> karma of Britain or the karma of Bosnia Herzegovina <clears throat> but what we really mean isn't, isn't it that we that that the results, the results now, say this is a resultant karma, the way it is right now. Say just having uh, left your home and come here, the result of that is that you're here. Why aren't you somewhere else? <laughs> and that what, that what you're feeling and hearing and all that is a, is a resultant karma of having made the effort to to say um, get up and get into your car and drive here and and come into this hall and sit down so it's not not anything other than just the most kind of uh, sensible uh, or you know quite uh, ordinary uh, experience so we can we can observe the resultant karma in any moment. It's interesting to as you as you begin to appreciate your ability to do this, you begin to one feels a real interest in in life in what happens, and it doesn't have to be anything special either, because you you're not you're not you're not thinking that you need special kind of extreme. Uh, experiences for your life anymore. You don't need to have adventures and and fantastic uh, special events to to live your life because just the ordinariness of life is what you begin to look at and observe. Where before, uh, maybe you didn't. Maybe you just ignored that. There's so much that one can just just not pay attention to and and pass over because it doesn't seem significant. We've not given it any any significance in our lives. And yet, uh, say, just the, the effect of, of having demands made on you, or, or we can start resenting it, isn't it? If somebody 
starts demanding things from us. Or if, if um, we hear some rather threatening news or, or the neighbors start complaining or, the, or you hear a possibility of, of losing your job or, or failing the examination or even uh, passing the examination, whatever. These, these, these kind of perceptions they affect our consciousness and we can and we can merely kind of ignore this in fact much of life can be just an escape from just a way of, of kind of avoiding because these things because we we tend to worry we worry about the, the passing the examination or what the neighbors will say or or whether we'll keep our our job or whether uh, the, the, it'll be sunny tomorrow, it'll be cold and wet, or, or whether, uh, you know, our lives will be, we'll be able to maintain them in the, in the same way as we get older. And the, so that, that even though these are worries for us, we, inst- with the worry, the worrying part of our life tends to be one of just going on to the next thing. It, it's not resolving anything. One's just caught up in a series of unpleasant mental states uh, that lead to uh, a sense of despair or annoyance or exasperation. And then we want to get out of it, get away from it, distract ourselves into something uh, that will stop this, this kind of proliferation. So instead of doing that, we think life hurts. It feels like this. When I hear, when the neighbors complain or somebody criticizes me, it feels this way. I remember years ago in uh, uh, in, in Thailand, there was a, uh, some monks, Western monks. Uh, we were they they had just come from the United States and and recently ordained, and they were. They'd been reading about these confrontations that were very popular back in the early 70s in, in America, where people would confront each other. And they, they would say, uh, you know, I think that you're this way, or I feel that you're that way, or whatever feeling they happen to be feeling towards you, they kind of uh, tell you immediately. And uh, and so they were talking about and that this was probably a very good thing to do, and and I could feel this inner terror arising, <laughs> really strong. I mean, almost like you know, quite a strong fear arose when I thought these monks are, are going to really make my life unbearable because they're going to confront me every day that I'm with them. We won't be able to just pass the day being pleasant to each other and avoiding issues totally. But we're always going to have to go around kind of saying, why did you look cross-eyed at me? Or why? (laughs) And there's a, because one really hasn't uh, really maybe fully admitted to oneself the fears and the, the hurt and the disappointments of one's own life and maybe has developed a whole kind of uh, lifestyle around avoidance and, and um, just being putting on an act really or, or passing things off or dismissing. The, uh, the, when, you, when you hear of someone that is, is quite frank and forthright in what they say, 
one tends to, just the thought of them tends to bring forth a sense of fear or threat. And you can actually feel that. You can actually be aware of, uh, of that feeling. And this is what, what I found very helpful is to, is to reflect on that feeling. You know, one thing, why do I start shaking when, when, the, when people say, I want to share something with you, Samato, <laughs> in the California. And then you think, oh, I'm in for it now. They're going to say things that will hurt me, that will, that will uh, offend me, that will distress my mind. And, and so, because, you know, they say my own background was a background of, of avoidance. From the family I grew up in, we were all uh, kind of determined to to not address real issues, but to always put on a good face and a stiff upper lip and make the best of life, as they said. And uh, which were, worked all right in, in some cases, but it also made you uh, very unable to relate very deeply to anyone else because the only way you knew how to do was to to be rather nice and bland and... and uh, go around pretending that everything's all right and and and, and, and in that of course you you felt uh, the the result was a sense of of never really uh, getting to know anyone and always feeling a bit threatened or frightened at the possibility of anything deeper than just uh, a banal super kind of surface pleasantries and yet each one of us I think longs to to get in there and, and kind of break into the real stuff. I mean, there's something in us also that, that, that wants to know the truth and, and wants to be liberated from our own fears and our own kind of imprisonment of, of habits and, and attitudes. I was reading some, about some woman poet who, who, uh, who, who is, um, one of her great lines was, uh, "Invade my privacy." <laughs> this uh, this was uh, like a cry from a from a person who lived very private life, <laughs> and yet you know it had all the kind of the the defenses up to to make that's that's exactly what they wanted, and yet there's also this 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 longing for it to be invaded, to be taken away. From, from one, not to be left in this state of just a uh, uh, kind of safe isolation from life and from the, the feeling of life. One could even look at monasticism as, uh, as, as, as that way of a kind of avoidance. And, and it can be used like that because monastic life is disciplined, it's based on, on uh, a high level of etiquette, duties and obligations to each other. Uh, and and therefore it uh, and and it can be idealized into you know what a really good monk should be a good nun should be and and uh, it can we can get terribly inspired by the idealism of of Buddhist monasticism but in the actual nitty gritty of daily life one finds that in uh, sangha life or the community life of of monastics. Uh, you're constantly having to kind of 
open your heart up to what's actually taking place. Uh, you you have to when you're living uh, with each other the the system of of say obligations duties and that to each other based on on morality. So we we're not uh, you know there's no we have a strong sense of of uh, respecting each other in regards to uh, you know the property and the physical body itself and and the uh, spiritual aspiration of each member of the sangha. So I mean that that's that's something that that we uh, must uh, reflect upon and 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 treasure and protect. But in the process of getting on with with daily life, all our kind of faults and weaknesses appear. We can't maintain the the uh, the stiff upper lip as a kind of permanent. A petrified uh, posture, can you? You can't. You can't keep the lip stiff all that for very long. When it starts kind of, when it starts trembling, and then, then also it's uh, uh, over the years uh, things. You know, one one develops uh, as you're developing, say, meditation, mindfulness around the way things are. You, you. Uh, you become more willing to look at things. You feel more confident that you can actually look at your fears and and observe them and accept them. Look at the 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 the, uh, the anxiety or the worry or the or the doubt in your mind. Do I really want to be a monk or a nun? Uh, is this really what I want to do with my life? And look at that rather than feel that you shouldn't be thinking like that. Or you begin to to look at your own, say, lustful tendencies, ways that you 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 tend to uh, the the the, the uh, that those desires in one that that want some kind of sensual pleasure or satisfaction, or the anger or the jealousy, the envy or the feelings of self lack of self-worth, we, one begins to take an interest in these things. Take an interest rather than, than think that these, than, than, than look at these things as, as something that are in your, in, the, in your way, something that is blocking your spiritual development or something that shouldn't be or you shouldn't be like that. You begin to take an interest in the way it is, what the the fears, the worries, the the tendencies of the mind. Uh, no matter how, and some of them can be quite, uh, you know, quite heavy in 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 regards to their quality, or they can be uh, uh, maybe just unnoticed tendencies of, of, of your life that you've just been so used to you've never you've never had any perspective upon them, yet they do leave you at the end of the day maybe with a feeling of incredible loneliness or or feeling of, of uh, resentment because it's not always that, that, that terrible I mean really dreadful or 
unfortunate things have happened to us uh, that have ruined our lives, but there can be a whole series of of little th experiences that that uh, that have influenced the way we tend to react and see and and uh, to the uh, daily life that we have. One thing, just the it's interesting to see the uh, the, the monks and nuns in regards to authority, because uh, most of us have come from uh, backgrounds where hierarchy is is regarded as almost uh, evil, bad. I mean, that's more so in America, I think, than in Britain, where. American attitudes about hierarchy are that it that the that there's Americans are so idealistic they they think that everything everyone is ideally equal in every way men and women equal in every way there's no difference and all races all classes everybody is is, is should be equal anyway should be totally equal and uh, anything hierarchical then seems to be like a, a something that shouldn't be uh, which always leaves a, a, this sense of, of fear or resentment for those who in practical ways maybe are above us or better than we are or in positions of authority it's interesting to see say with the with the nuns and the monks the attitude of women towards men just the the feelings and and that, that, that the nuns uh, have about, uh, about monks or being they, the, the male presence, because uh, the Theravada structure is, is a very kind of m highly male-dominated uh, form. It's a very masculine outfit. <laughs> I wonder why the nuns want to be with us. <laughs> they resent male authority so much. <laughs> but these things are are you know not to to justify or to criticize, but to observe the the feelings that one has in regards to to these experiences. It's interesting to see when uh, this was sometimes when when a nun uh, has some authority and in charge of things how uh, to see the way monks react to that because <laughs> it works both ways. Bikkhus, uh, you know, bikkhus are used to being uh, the kind of uh, the the nuns usually defer. To the bhikkhus, so sometimes a nun will will have some something that she's in charge of, and and she might get quite uh, authoritative in that position, and it brings up very strong feelings in some of the monks, including myself. <laughs> and so these are the very these are the the. This is the nitty-gritty. This is the stuff of life hurts, isn't it? Where you, rather than, than ignoring these things, one looks at them. One, 
one watches, one embraces them and is willing to feel them. Because you know that this is the way to resolve those karmic, that, that, that kind of karma, rather than just, uh, you know, go through the usual ways of, of reacting to it. One way I think that, that's very common among men is to just, just suppress, just ignore feeling because if the things get, you know, if feelings get too much you can just kind of, kind of uh, turn the other way, refuse to look at it. And, and therefore uh, uh, the, the karma never is resolved. One is never, one is always caught reacting in the same way through one's whole life unless we, we learn to skillfully resolve these, these tendencies or these, these uh, kind of hurting things of life as they happen to us. To be uh, the senior figure in a, in a community, be the 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 patriarch and to 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 be able to fulfill that role within a community without without uh, becoming uh, without becoming attached to it or becoming uh, embarrassed by it because inevitably we have to, we we relate to each other in in uh, we have to relate to each other as in different ways, you can't. One somebody has to enter the doorway first. We all can't enter at the, at the same moment. When we go through the the line for the food, somebody has to go first. Uh, there has to be an agreement about how we do things, uh, and and therefore, uh, say the conventions we do have are merely uh, practical agreements to make life, to simplify life, to make it possible that it, this is not, not terribly confused, to, to have, a, have an order that we all agree to. And from that order, from that agreement, then it's possible to, to be mindful of what's actually, what we actually feel. And we realize that, 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 that in our lives, the more we are willing to actually feel life, to be hurt by life, to accept the slings and arrows, to accept the the problems, the difficulties, the ups, the downs, uh, the willingness to to feel all of it. Then we then we take then we really can take an interest in our lives. When I was saying just a few minutes ago about this confrontation years ago, this idea of confronting. Anyway, the monks, we all decided to have a confrontation session one afternoon. And so uh, we all met in this certain place, the appointed time, and I was petrified. <laughs> but I wasn't willing to admit I was petrified. I was pretending that I wasn't. Because you don't want to look like that because they expect they might actually, you know, confront you with why are you frightened. So he pretended that I wasn't, and uh, and therefore one kind of found that myself kind of going to a level of 
of a kind of wise cracks or kind of silly humor is to to kind of ease the tensions and and uh, make it not so important kind of you know make it less threatening by by filling my mind with uh, rather silly thoughts and foolish jokes then then the uh, uh, one of the monks that was really into confrontation, he wanted us to confront him. Now, that's a strange thing. I thought they were all going to have a go at me. And they're taking this con- but actually, this monk wanted us to attack him. He seemed to have a great love, need for being told off. Or- so, and he, he is quite uh, a, a difficult character, so... Some of the monks started saying, well, you know, why do you do this? And why are you always late? And why, and then this and, and that. And he seemed to quite enjoy uh, being criticized. And I thought, this is strange. And uh, so when it came my turn to, he says, okay, uh, Ajahn Sumedho, what have you got to say about me? And I, I decided, instead of saying anything Critical. I just decided to say uh, what I uh, the, the, what I found very nice about him. So I told him, and he was furious. <laughs> he thought I was lying. He thought I was afraid to tell him <laughs> because this was a confrontation. This confrontation always have to be uh, critical. We can confront each other with uh, with you know. Let me tell you about how wonderful you are. <laughs> <laughs> rather than I've come to tell you how horrible you are or how much you annoy me and then they finally it came my turn to be confronted and, and every one of them said well we have nothing to say about you you're okay what a relief and I, I got out of that one because I was really, you know, really quite terrified. They were going to, to go in and and bring and hurt, you know, bring up issues or subjects or things. Maybe they could see things in me that I I wasn't aware of. And always that fear of having to find out something that you you don't want to really know about anyway. And so that that there is a relief in the fact that uh, somehow with me I'd managed to. Uh, get out of it, and I realize that that has been a, been a very much a a um, trend in my life. Is managed to get out of a lot of things, and so I guess I've, I've developed a kind of uh, a character that everybody thinks is okay, and and that uh, I'm perfectly normal, and that they don't that people aren't so. Or else, maybe I give off the impression that I'm so sensitive and, and that, that if they said anything, I'd probably be totally shattered by it. But anyway, my life has not been one where people have, have confronted me very much and, and, uh, and had in really sad things that, that were all that uh, shattering. And it's also, I appreciate that, it's given me a chance to, to develop uh, say mindfulness around the the events of life, the just the little things of life, just the annoyances or the 
the uh, exasperations that that one experiences in daily life, or because one because these opportunities were made uh, made were available and made conscious to me, there was also an influence, the definite influence of 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 the suggestion that it might be a good thing to really look and observe. And then reading the Buddhist teachings from that, and uh, uh, the Satipatthana, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, one began to see that actually Buddha was pointing to this this in, in, in his own way. When he talks about the foundations of mindfulness, he's talking about the just the, the physical body itself. This this one's own body with its senses, its eyes and ears and nose and tongue, the sensitivity of the whole form with its brain, with its nervous system, with its uh, uh, organs, with its breath, with its mental state, with the ability to feel, to be attracted, repelled through the senses, with the, with the mind itself, with the with the memories that we have, with the with the moods of the mind, the fears, the the anguish, the despair, the loves and hates, the the happiness, the disappointment, the hurts of life. That that the Buddha was saying, be you know, be mindful of these. Know these things as they are, for what they really are. Now, they, what they really are in terms of Dhamma is that they, they're impermanent and they're not self. And so I realized more and more that, that why I was so frightened of this confrontation years ago was because I would take any criticism or any, anything, anything in, that was mental or physical uh, as something it would, be, it would be filled with a sense of being mine. And and so therefore, uh, when you're so identified with your body, with your sensitivity, with the with your moods and memories, thoughts and and tendencies, when when that's so strong, such a strong identity, then one is is there's a, a level of anxiety always in the in 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 the experience of life, because these are we we are terribly you know. Uh, frightened of, of what others will say, what will the neighbors think, what will my friends say, my colleagues, what will the monks and nuns think, what will uh, so forth, you know, it goes on and on into a, 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 a tremendous self-consciousness and fear of being looked down on or humiliated or despised or or made fun of or jeered at. And yet, in terms of Dhamma, say that what we're doing is we're 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 looking at all of this as it really is, as as the fears, the desires, the feelings, the sensitivity, the body itself are put in the context of whatever is subject to arising is subject to ceasing, whatever is born dies, and so then we're looking at the the Dhamma of it. But we're still willing to feel it. It's not this this sense of seeing this this way of contemplating impermanence isn't a dismissal, just a kind of 
pushing things away and convincing ourselves that, that our feelings are, are not ours. It's not, it's not, in, it's not like you're, you're trying to convince yourself, it's, it's not self. You, you're willing to feel, you're willing to be hurt, you're willing to experience this whole, this, a whole life experience in this form. In, in, in all its aspects. Because you, you know, you begin to know very clearly, you realize the truth of it is that it's not real, it's not yours. It's the karma of birth, it's the way it is, pleasure and pain, praise and blame, happiness, suffering, success, failure, they, they, they appear, disappear, they, they, that's life, that's what the, the flow of life is about. We, the, the, these changing conditions. And we, we are now the observer, the witness, the one who's reflecting on it and seeing it for what it is rather than the conditions themselves. And so instead of being somebody who's frightened or threatened by confrontation, Instead of being being that way, being somebody who's who's got these anxieties, uh, you change from be becoming somebody to being aware of these of this anxiety for what it is, and that means accepting it, letting it letting it alone, let it be what it is, willing to 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 let it be conscious, so you're feeling it, you're not. And, and willing to bear with it, be patient, be accepting of it, and to to not be so quick to to judge it and make some some critical comment or make a problem about it. Just just to 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 let it be what it is. For example, if if I think in, in those early years when I was afraid of being confronted, there was also the thought I shouldn't be afraid of being confronted. I should. This is probably good for me. It's what I need. I need, I need to be told off. I need somebody to come and say, "What's wrong with you?" Is this and and I say, oh, "I'm just so weak. I can't take it, and I'm so frightened by it." And, but I shouldn't be that way. I should be brave. And so you're caught in this, in this, in this endless kind of struggle in your mind. You're thinking, "Oh, I, I don't want to. I couldn't bear it if they, if people said some things to me, and and then the other side comes up. But you should, you know." You've got to conquer this fear. You should be brave. You should face life. You shouldn't be so cowardly. And and then the other side, well, I couldn't, well, maybe later on, and maybe I should go to a therapist or something. Uh, this whole, uh, you know, the the way the mind will will go from being this this kind of wimpish, frightened being into then into the tyrant that that says you shouldn't be that way. But in, and, and so just that, that kind of war, conflict, goes on in the mind. But in mindfulness of it, both are just seen for what they are. It's just this way. When the condition is, is frightened, anxious, worried, it's just this way. And you kind of listen and willing to, to to feel it like in your body you can go more towards the say the chest or the 
stomach, around here, you begin to know just what it like, the kind of tensions you might be feeling, say, in the trunk of your body, by that, that kind of anxiety or fear. And you, you, can, you can reflect with it saying, it's all right to feel this way. You know, this is a, this is a kind of uh, a way of encouraging yourself to, to, to not make any problem about it and to, to let it be what it is. And then if you go into the old tyrannical mode of, oh, you're so weak and so you, should, you shouldn't be this frightened and, and you need to, to go to a psychiatrist and, and all that, then, then, you can, then you can, as soon as you're aware of that, the, the tyrant that's always uh, coming down heavy with its moral judgments, value judgments, <laughs> that feels like this. So you're also willing to feel the tyrant, the tyranny, or the that in in you that tends to detest and make uh, criticisms about what you you know about yourself. So that and it changes. You can't you know these and you can't at first. It's difficult to to always to stay with it. But as you make a determination resolution to to do that you began to say take an interest it's interesting because what happens when when you stay with something and you don't make any more karma with it like you're when you're when when you're willing when you're mindful of of a mood or a state of mind or a feeling in the body, when you're really mindful of it, you've accepted it, and you're, you're willing to let it be what it is, you're willing to coexist with it, then it ceases. And, and in that cessation, it's, you've resolved that. You're letting go. You're not making any karmic connection to it anymore. Because the karma is the reactiveness out of ignorance, isn't it? Where you... You follow it, you believe it, you, you, you know, I'm so frightened, I can't bear this. And then, then the other is, you shouldn't be frightened, you should be brave. And then you, that's also, you're making heavy karma with, well, through the tyrant or through the, or through the um, terribly sensitive, uh, uh, frightened person, personality. But that awareness, except, uh, Attentive awareness of it is is, is that that you're not making a karma with the condition you you're you're letting it end you're letting it go you're letting it be what it is it's impermanent you're letting it cease according to its nature and then you 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 you're tuning into the peace of your of the, of the natural state of mind when you're letting things cease in your mind you're no longer caught up in just uh, Unskillful emotional reactions to things. That that whole that that whole confusing, uh, frustrating tendency starts fading out, diminishing, and you begin to realize the true nature of mind. We can call it bliss, peace, serenity, emptiness, empty-minded, or whatever. Uh, there's different ways of different uh, words that people use. 
But in that, there's, there's a sense of relief. Like I remember reading uh, some Zen book years ago, and they, and they, uh, they, and they were describing the experience of Nibbana. And it's like you know you've been uh, carrying something heavy, and you're you're very tired, and then you put it down. It feels that's Nibbana's like that. <laughs> or meeting a good friend at the crossroads. An old friend at the crossroads. I mean, these are these are not like you know uh, ecstasies where you, you're kind of just gone wild into a state of bliss that is just so so fantastic. And these are these are these are uh, happinesses that we ha- that are quite ordinary in daily life. But we don't. But do you really notice them? You really notice them. Do you know? Like when you're really tired and you and you sit down and relax, just that feeling of just being able to to relax. What can you really stay with that and notice the feeling of just rest? Or do you? Or what? What do you do? Do you 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 can you can just maybe feel tired and then rest, uh, sit down to have a rest, but then your mind gets caught up with thinking about this or that and. And so you don't even notice the nibbanic happiness, <laughs> or that that sense of of just being relaxed and at ease with, with and, and 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 trusting in that and noticing it. Last last week's uh, talk was on stress, and you can see like the. The term the rat race and stress, this, the way life has, uh, uh, has become such an, an ongoing, uh, speedy experience. It seems like we're always in, in going somewhere, always having to do something. There's this, this tension of, of uh, a kind of urgency in everything. And so, and, and, and so the rat race, you know, we go back to the rat race, or the, uh, the stress of modern life, because it is, it's much faster now, isn't it? You, the, the, all the technology has, has, has relieved us of a lot of, of kind of tedious chores, but in the process it's speeded up everything, because it, we now have to spend more time looking for things to do. And there's there's more interesting alternatives. There's always you can go back to university when you're 60 years old. You can, <laughs> you, can uh, you know, there's always in, in a whole kind of menu lists of of things that are tantalizing possibilities to get involved with this or that. And the mind is very much conditioned to always be feeling it, there's something that you should be doing. That you shouldn't be just being. I just want you to contemplate this. Uh, how many, is it very easy to just be? And to trust in just being. Which doesn't mean that you you don't do the dishes and don't 
don't go to work and you just decide you're going to be. <laughs> because life isn't like that, is it? Life is, it has its, we have our duties to perform and and things like that in life, you know, just the, the needs of the body and the and so forth have their force and influence on our life. But we began to kind of relax with the flow of life. We've, we've left, the, we've gotten out of the rat race. We're not caught up in a, in a compulsive uh, pushiness of modern life. And, you, and when you do, when you feel that in your mind, when you feel that sense of, I've got to do this and I should be doing that and I'm just wasting time and all that, then you can take an interest in that feeling. Now, for the, this next week, when I assign you your homework, <laughs> is, to, is to try to take time out during the day. And you get kind of wound up and caught up into the rat race to take an interest in the feeling now. What does it feel like? Rather than, than just thinking, you know, criticizing yourself, or here I go again, I'm caught up again and... What does it feel like to feel like that? And and to kind of look look just take a look at, at your own body and the, the feeling or the mood of the mind and and just question what is it what is it really like and and uh, and accept it not not question it in in to judge it but to just bring attention to it is enough just attention and see if you can. They just let it be the way it is. Just for a second is 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 fine. You're not, you don't have to succeed in this at all. Failure is completely is allowable because <laughs> this is not the rat race. So, so this is you don't have to prove that you can do it. It's just it's, I'm just suggesting this as a way of of that you can change your direction from just the being helplessly caught up into the momentum of your habits and the intimidations of the world to taking an interest in what's actually the, the way it is for you at this time. Not for the way it is, it's some, some ideal way it is, but the way it is now as, as, it, as you're conscious of it at this moment. And to and to just reflect and uh, note any kind of just this kind of thinking itself. What does it do to your mind? Does it make you feel insecure, or 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 does it, is it, it what I'm saying? Is it kind of threatening to you, or is it interesting? Or just to to note any 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 emotional reaction you might have. And and just to, to, it's all right. Whatever whatever reaction is there is the way it is, and and, and that willingness to let it be. More you 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 practice with this, then you then you'll find that all the threats, fears, karma of your life will take you to peace, peacefulness. You're beginning to see that even the the hurts of life, the pain, the humiliations, the disappointments, well, even the worst side of life, not to mention the 
just the the little things of life as you as you accept life is for what it is it will it all takes you to that inner peace the serenity of the heart the peaceful mind and when we say when when we contemplate dhamma the the word dhamma or the the truth of the way it is we use this word opanayako leading inwards it says leading the truth takes us inwards it takes us to nibbana to the to that realization of of non-attachment and and realization of non-attachment isn't callous indifference and and unwillingness to feel but it's totally being the feeling not becoming but being with it and and accepting and letting it be and then it you're allowing that which has arisen to cease and in the cessation is the realization of of life itself because you're you're letting the 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 mortal things the, the birth and death things the beginning and ending things you're you're breaking your through the attachment you're breaking up the illusions you have about them you you've 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 conquered death is one kind of heroic way of putting it <laughs> or you've realized the truth of the way it is and this no what do, what do you think when when like death itself what do you think when it's like the end isn't it and and the, like your own death your physical death that's the end because of because that sense of of death is is very much connected to your your body the your identity with the body and the memories and and attitudes of mind that you you developed but in the but with mindfulness and understanding of dhamma that that you're letting go of the, all that conditioning all those assumptions all those conventions you're not getting rid you're not you're not trying to annihilating you're letting go and in that letting go is the realization of the deathless and so uh, then there's nothing more to fear because it's just you you have taken an interest in the in the dhamma or the way things are and you and then that will also give you the faith and the trust to persevere even through the difficult patches of life you find you have tremendous ability to use even the worst things that happen to you instead of being that which ruins your life sometimes it's that which awakens you to truth and many people have told me that sometimes a, like a some of the like a terminal illness or a some terrible thing that's happened to them has actually awakened them rather than ruined their lives and that's because they suddenly they 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 were it jolted them out of maybe the momentum of just habitual behavior they had to look at something in a different way and now here and say in terms of dhamma what i'm encouraging you to do is 
to to develop the way of looking at things in terms of of the dhamma of the way it is, and that allows you to have the the understanding the perspective on the personal experiences, the unique, the eccentric, the odd, the unexpected uh, things that happen to us, as well as the ordinary habitual uh, tendencies and functions of, of life. We see it then in terms of the way it is rather than the way we think it is. So I offer this as a reflection for this afternoon. Time now for tea and uh, 15 minutes we can then uh, reassemble for further discussion.